This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Carm Capriato, another Town Hall Academy. I think we're in week like 315. And as you know, always elevating the automotive aftermarket. So your organization and your leadership skills go to unbounded levels of success. So glad to have you here. Listen, this is a topic that's, uh, it's not like it's way overdue. And we have covered this topic in the past. But I've got three incredible business coaches here on the line for you today, and I think it's going to be an exceptional panel. One of the things before we start with our panel, I so would love to give a high five to our great partners here on the podcast. You know, it amazes me how much five-star reviews make or break a shop. I get more customers falling in love with you when you offer them complete convenience and transparency with the industry's leading shop management system. On the web at GetShopware.com. And are you up to date on your training? Well, Delphi Technologies is proud to offer over 30 courses run by ASE certified technicians for professionals. Turn to the OE aftermarket supplier with over 100 years of experience. Inquire today at DelphiAftermarket.com. Bob Ward's here, president of Warden LLC and PerpetualBusiness.co with always the strongest message in the world is that you have to prepare your business for sale each and every day. I love that message. Rick White's here from 180Biz. Hey, Rick. Hey, hey. And uh, Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching on the Chris Cotton Weekly Blitz Podcast. Hello, Chris. Hey, good morning. Afternoon. Sorry, it's late morning here in Colorado, so afternoon everywhere else. And it's almost happy hour here out on the East Coast, just to let you know. I want to just show a really quick slide on some shows that we've done in the past, uh, selling your business valuation strategies. Bob Ward was on that a bunch of, bunch of weeks ago. We also did valuing and positioning your business for sale, succession strategies, and selling your business, the first steps. Guys, I w- would want to just recommend to everyone, if you're looking to find all of these on my website, here's where you would go. You'd go to the tag cloud, remarkableresults.biz tag cloud. It's in the resources tab, and then you would see succession planning, click that. And every podcast we have done that has a flavor or a taste of selling, succeeding to family members or an internal candidate or any kind of succession planning that you'd like to will all be there. So if you're teased by what we're doing here today, uh, we have more for you. Rick, let me start with you. I want to sell my business. I've done COVID's here, all this stuff. I'm done. Honey, I'm going to call some buddies of mine and I'm going to sell my business and it's the right thing to do. I'm reacting now. A lot of times I'm talking to coaches, to business owners, shop owners, and they're saying, that's it. I'm out. I've had enough. No help. I'm overworked. I can't do it anymore. I'm selling. And it's a complete reaction. And unfortunately, they're not ready for it. And there's such a thing as sweat equity. Unfortunately, you can't sell sweat equity, you know, and somebody very, very wise years ago told me that your business is for sale every single day. If it's not on the market, you're the one buying it. Make sure it's worth buying. You need to be able to plan for selling. And there's a couple of key, really important things I'm sure we'll get into as we get into the conversation. But you got to be set up for it. It's not something you can just react and do because you're going to be, most shop owners are going to be very, very disappointed in what their businesses are actually worth. And I think Bob will be able to talk more on that. But, you know, everybody thinks they have a million dollar shop and they're absolutely amazed when it's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, when the value is a hundred thousand dollars. 
And the sad part is for a lot of us in this industry, our shop is our nest egg. And uh, when you're not planning for it and you just think it's going to be there at the end, you're usually disappointed. You couldn't have said it better. And I think you landed right into Bob Ward's wheelhouse here that you're always for sale. I mean, that's the point. One of the things when I read the E-Myth Revisited and Gerber said, I think it was in the first couple of pages, every decision you make should have an effect on you selling your business. I don't think we're playing in that sandbox of late. Rick said it very well. Your business should be available for sale, ready for sale every day. I coach that from the day you open it or you're planning to open, you want to know that there's going to be a exit strategy, that you are building value that you're going to realize one day. And when your business is truly ready for sale, you are successful today. You're happy to be there. You're making money. The books are good. It's valuable to you personally today, which means it will be valuable to somebody else in the future. And you want to be reaping the rewards along the way. That's why you got into business in the first place. You, you didn't get into business to have a glorified job. You wanted to create investment income and have something that is very valuable later. So if you're going to work hard for 30 years, make money for 30 years. And if you're doing that, Someone else is going to be able to make money in the future. You always want it ready for sale. Be successful today and continue that. So I think we're going to hear a lot the words make money. <laughs> I really do. Because I think that's one of the most important strategies to value your business and to sell it is that if you don't have a profit, it's going to be very difficult for the next person to come in. Now, you may say, you know, I run all my personal stuff and, the, you know, the gas for the boat at the lake through all that stuff. And you know what? You may be able to legitimize some of it with the right receipts and someone can add it back, but you're playing all kinds of games and you got to be able to have the person who's on the buying end believe all of that and willing to give you X amount of money for some smoke and mirrors. And so be very, very careful. And Chris, for you, I know that it's all about understanding the profitability. So if we could rock someone's world and say, you know what? They made so much sense and I got to really turn things around. I've got to become more profitable. Well, really, in the end, that's what you're selling, right? You're selling the profitability of the business. You can't sell, oh, Carm's a nice guy, so I'm going to give him a million dollars because that's, again, some shop owners feed into that and they're like, hey, I want to be a millionaire. So they grab at that first straw, which is a million dollars and be like, oh, I want to be a millionaire. And so they <laughs> ask, but we only have a limited way of making money and making profit and making a net profit. Profitability is the key. You know, what are your profit centers? It's it's service, it's parts, it's sublet, it's tires. You really, really have a limited amount of buckets to make profit out of. Like I recently did a shop visit and they had a, a customer that was having a, a not great experience. The shop was frustrated, but all the frustration came from the shop owner allowing the customer to bring their own parts in. And then instead of charging extra for somebody bringing their own ham and eggs, they charged less because this person was supposedly an expert on their vehicle. And the whole, I got to sit and watch. I wish I had some popcorn to see this whole thing spiral out of control because these people brought in their own parts. And again, you're killing your profit center. So know where your profits come from. Go ahead, Rick. Well, no, I just wanted to mention that because y'all are saying stuff. And I think one of the big mistakes we make in this industry is we're not buying businesses, we're buying paychecks. And right. 
That's a problem. Your goal, when you buy a business, when you're a business owner, your goal is to work yourself out of a position in the company. You want to get yourself, so you're working yourself out of a job, not get stuck in the job. One of the things that are going to make your business more profitable, more sellable, right? There's two things. You need to have a history of profit, a sustained history of uh, four to five years of solid profit. That's what they're going to be basing a lot of the sale price on. Bob, you can correct me on that. But then the second part of it is how involved are you in the business? If they pull you out of the business and it falls apart, it's not worth as much as if you say here, here's a business that's making 25% net profit and I'm spending two hours a day remotely just talking to people and it's working like a champ. You got to work yourself out of the shop. And I can't correct you on that, Rick, because you're 100% correct. I call it being having the business be independent of its owner. Business can function just great without you. Right. I have a class. I'm doing it ATE. I'm going to do a plug, Carm. I'm sorry. I'm going to be out in Washington. We're doing a class called From CEO to CEO, From Chief Everything Officer to Chief Executive Officer. And we talk about the path to get there. We talk about the seasons of your business and the cycles and help you to understand what they are. Because, you know, one of the problems is, especially with the economic turbulence that we're going through and uncertainty we're going through right now, is when we're going through a good time, we think it's always going to be good, right? And then when we're going through a bad time, we're afraid we're going to be there all the time. And that's not true. We got to recognize the seasons. We got to be able to deal with the seasons. You got to be set aside. You got to set aside money for the seasons. Warren Buffett said it best. You don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. Think about that. See, when a shop's real, real busy, it's easy to hide the sins. But when you slow down, and if there's a slowdown, you got to be really careful because now all the ugly shows, all the shortcuts and everything else, now you're in trouble. You've got to be able to make sure you've got a bathing suit on. Stay with the basics. Make sure you're doing it, doing it when you're busy, doing it when you're slow. Well, the analogy is great. Uh, so I take on a brand new client and I'm a business coach like you guys are. And I say, okay. They say, what's the first order of business? Well, I, I want to see uh, how often you're swimming naked. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he says, yeah. what the hell do you mean by that? And that could stick in that person's mind for a long time, Rick, and realize that everything that they do, they're ho- being held accountable by their coach. The coach is only with them maybe once a month on a one-on-one basis, but they'll never forget the fact that they may be exposing themselves by making poor decisions. Absolutely. And making shortcuts, you know, and, you know, again, activity covers a lot of sins. Right. It's easy if you're sloppy in your sales practices, but you got 30 people lined up, the laws, numbers, your averages are going to work out. But if you've got two people in front of you, now those two have got to count. That's when it's going to make a difference. Right. So you want to make sure. Bob, I got to ask you a question here. I'm ready. But I realized by having a coach listening to our podcasts that I'm not quite there yet. The financial statement isn't there. My involvement isn't there. I will noticeably be doing some things that my team is going to see. They're going to feel an evolution of change because I'm getting prepared and ready. And I know, Bob, you want to be sure that that's shared with your people. I believe that first, the staff is the most important. There is no business without your people. You want them well-educated, well-skilled, happy to be there. You want to encourage longevity of your key people because that is the business. They're the ones that generate the cash flow on which the business is valued. 
So to have people, your staff, the most important asset you have, be taken by surprise, not be aware that you, the owner, are planning thoughtfully for the continuity of the business, that they are important, not just today to you, the owner, but they're going to be equally important to whomever is buying and that they are being considered in this process. To find out that the business is now up for sale or there's a stranger walking in who is the new owner, that is where you risk losing the trust and the tenure of those people. I have seen owners keep their people in the dark. There is no such thing as a secret in the world. If someone more than you knows something, it can get out. There's so many ways for the rumors to get back that Carm is about to sell his business and they have no clue what's going on. They'll start looking for another job and not even tell you about it sometimes. I think everybody should be involved in the process thoughtfully, respectfully, and that there's security for these people so that when you leave, they have a good sense that their job is not in jeopardy. I think that's a good thought, but I also want to throw out this. A lot of times I talk to shop owners that bought a shop and they overpaid, whatever, because the guy was like, oh yeah, I take all this cash under the table, blah, blah, blah. You know, we all know what happens there, but they buy a shop that they shouldn't have bought probably. And then the shop has some employees. Typically what I ask the owner is, is like, okay, if you're buying the shop again and you're going to make everybody reapply for their job, who would you not rehire? And quite often there's a couple of people in there, two or three that probably don't deserve a position in the new company. Do you give any thought to that when you're um, doing like an exit strategy? Okay. Yeah, but you want the new owner to make that decision versus people are jumping ship before the transition has occurred. And that, yeah, yeah, there's people probably in most companies that maybe we don't even want to keep. We just can't replace them yet. But if the staff is totally taken unawares and they're starting to look for other jobs before you've even sold your business, you got a problem. I think honesty and integrity and transparency, care and concern, I'm just going to call those virtues. Virtues are always appropriate. For me, it's about psychological safety. Your team wants certainty. And that's why it's so important. Even during now, we, you know, we got these uncertain times with the, you know, people are talking recession and they're talking inflation and, and everything else that's under the sun, right? The political unrest and, you know, the divisiveness today in our society and everything like that. We as owners need to create a haven where people can come and feel safe, where they can do their job and get challenged and have fun and be a part of something. And part of that is the transparency that Bob was talking about. This should not be anything. You should have like a, for your basic management stuff, I don't think you can go much more out than 18 months as far as planning because things are changing so fast. But when it comes to secession, you need a much longer runway. Most shops, I tell them straight up, you're looking at an eight to 10 year runway. You got to get three to five years to get the business dialed into a profit margin that makes sense for the business. And then you need five years of sustained profit so that when you go, your tax returns look amazing and you have something that is worth money. This is not a reactionary thing. When you're reacting, you're in trouble. You know, there was a great book out 
It's called Peaks and Valleys. And one of the things I remember about that book, it said, <clears throat> never make a decision in a valley. And what they meant by that is when you're emotional, that is not a decision. It's a reaction. Don't do it, right? Don't do it. Be smarter than that. Step back, go get a coffee, go get a drink. I don't know. Go for a walk, do whatever, but don't go shooting your foot to just get out of it because you're going to be really disappointed. I can tell you, I sold my business. Back in 2002, I sold my business. And I struggled for two years with an identity crisis because for two years, for years and years and years, I've been owning shops and part of shops since I was crap, 15 years old, 14 years old. I always identified as a shop owner. So when I sold the shop, I really struggled. Someone would say, well, William, who are you? You know, I didn't know who I was. It took me a while to figure that out. And it's worth going through that. And one of the things we coach people on when you're starting to look at the succession planning is what you want to do is start taking like a day a week and start finding some hobbies and interests a little bit at a time so that you can gradually move over from this identity to this identity without the culture shock that I went through. It was really bad for a couple of years. It's cool. I identify a bunch of different ways now and it, it's really good. You know, I identify as a cat in a closet and stuff like that, but it really is an important thing to think through because what happens is you've been going into the shop for 20, 30, 40 years. You sell it, you get up the next morning and you got nothing to do. So you've got to have that thought process and you need a runway for that too. So that you're taking one day a week and all of a sudden you got, you know, you got new hobbies or you're doing something else. It makes a huge difference. A lot of owners, it's a very psychological, emotional trauma. What am I going to do with my life? The business has been my life. I want to point out one other thing that's really incredibly important on this topic about preparing your business for sales to consider what is the market for selling your business. Yeah, there's a there's aggregators out there. There's another shop owner that wants to expand and have a second shop. But those are quite rare. In the world of small business, roughly 80% of all small businesses do not survive the departure of the current owner. There's not a lot of people just lined up in your community with a bunch of money. They're going to come and buy your business for cash. It's just incredibly rare. The most likely outcome is to groom your successor from within. Correct. Key employee. And the sooner you start doing that, the more valuable they are to your organization while you own it. But they are most likely to become your buyer. You know, nothing tells a customer they need a new part faster than when they see a worn or broken one in their hands. Now, how do you do that in the digital age? Well, it's actually very easy. Thanks to DVX, you can send photos and videos within its messenger platform. It's like nothing else you've ever seen in an auto repair SMS before. Take the best of an Amazon-like experience and use it in your shop to show customers how great you are. DVX also makes it easy for customers to drop you a quick text or answer in the messenger bubble that arises from the repair order. It's like magic. Customers love seeing what they need to do and giving you a quick answer. You'll see your business's potential right in front of you. Your customers get on with their day and you get back to the repair. Everybody wins. It's time. Take it from me. GetShopware.com as the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. 
Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line, and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. So I feel right now like it's time, and let me put a five-year timeline on my exit strategy, and I look around my team, and I just don't see an individual that I think can be there at this moment. We need to cover this so that our listener can say, ah, they broke the code. I was really worried that I didn't think there was a way to get around this. Go ahead, Rick. One of the things that shop owners aren't thinking of, getting help right now is really hard. I want you to think about hiring like fishing, okay? Just think about this for a second. If I want to go fishing, number one, I got to know what fish I'm going after. I have to know what bait is going to attract that fish, and I have to know where that fish is. That makes sense, yes? So now, isn't that the same thing with a tech or an, an advisor or anybody else? I got to know who I'm going after. I got to know what benefits, value, et cetera, is going to attract them, and I got to know where they are. But here's the thing that I talk to shop owners when I'm coaching them. When I have a shop owner that's within 10, 12, 13, 14 years of retiring, I want them to put an ad out or to advertise for help. And I want them to put ownership potential in as one of the hooks. Uh -huh. Because that is one of the best ways to get quality staff because you're showing them a future that nobody else does. Absolutely correct. Sorry, I'm done now. That was just, I had to share that. You were hot. You were hot. Man, I like it. Bob, can you expand on that a little bit? Because what I want people to understand is that training and coaching and leadership, all these skills can be provided, developed. I mean, you end up maybe as an owner being a coach for a succession team so that when it's right and the time, because you'll know when the time is right, because you would have had done, and again, maybe you hire Bob because he is so expert at this to figure out the numbers, the financing and everything. Because it's not just easy. I'm going to sell my place to Rick in five years and then just maybe say the rosary once a week. That just will not happen. There's so much behind the scenes. Bob, Chris, can you chime in on that? Typically, you know, there has to be some sort of a gradual equity progression because I've seen this happen a couple of times where you bring somebody in, they're the person that's supposed to buy the business. And when it comes time for them to buy it, they've messed up, they've done something wrong, they can't get the funds, they can't get the funding. If you have somebody that has that equity built in and can take over the business, it makes it easier for the bank. It makes it easier for the loan. If you do owner financing, a lot of the times I've seen where the owner says, okay, you're also, because I'm carrying the note, you're also going to pay the coach to stay with you because I don't want the coach not to be there and not help you. So I think those are all, I mean, there's a ton of things that can be done with that. And 
the other thing I would tell you is each shops a little bit differently. Like there's no, there's no cookie cutter process. I don't think for this, um, you kind of have to look at each shop individually to see what the needs of the owner, the employees and the person coming in are. And here's the thing too. A lot of times, especially if you have really profitable shops, let's say I have a shop to Carm and Carm's going to buy it, but I own the real estate and it's a separate realty trust. So I'm going to rent the shop to Carm. So I have a shop that legitimately is worth a million dollars. And here's the issue with that. How many banks do you know are going to give an unsecured loan for $800,000? Very, very few banks are going to do that. Even the SBA is not going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you've got to be thinking about as you're going through this is, am I going to carry the note? And you can set yourself up for some protection where you're getting a P&L and balance sheet cash flow statement once a month. If they miss two payments, you can set it up so that you can take the business back. You need some upfront money to make sure that they get some skin in the game. The protection's really cool. You can set that up. And something that people don't think about is you can get interest from this. So it's an additional income stream. And when you're doing this, you only pay capital gains on what you've collected, not what you sold it for. So that's pretty cool, too. You can spread the capital gains out over a period of time. I worked with a shop owner that he had four locations and we worked with all of them and he wanted to sell those off in finance. I swear he sold these four shops like 15 times because he would sell it, carry the note. The person would run it into the ground. He would repossess it. And then finally, how he got underneath of those or one of the ways is he made me part of the sale. Like he's like, okay, you have to hire a coach. Here's the one I'm working with now. And then I was able to work with those other shops and finally pay him off and get him out of those four shops forever. But he made a ton of money off those four shops in just the owner carry several Buy here, pay here. (laughs) Yeah, right. We don't don't, want to sell and repossess and resell and repossess. We want to sell in time and have it work. And be done with it, yeah. And as Rick said in the opening, this is not an event. The odds of anybody having a million dollars in their checking account and handing it to you and you walking away within a matter of weeks is maybe 1%. It's a process to prepare your business from sale, ideally from day one, or maybe you're going to start at the end of this show and you're going to take all the advice everybody is giving you and you're going to start the process. And the first is, I don't know if it's the first, but of prime importance, who is your market? If you're hoping it's going to be some outsider with a bunch of money, just realize the odds are like 1%. The best odds are first identifying who you have in your organization that even wants to be an owner, and then do they have the capability? And if you don't have that person, you got to go fishing for that person and get them in the company. And then they need to be developed. There needs to be a process for the financing side. I've created something called equity equivalence accumulation, which allows some equity to be transferred in equivalence, not actual shares, to a point where the owner's comfortable financing maybe five years, seven years from now because everything's working and they're semi-retired or mostly retired and that key employee's running the company, owner's absentee, everything's working great and they've earned the equivalent of maybe half of the enterprise value. So if they can't get bank financing at the end for half the value, owner's okay carrying a note, in my opinion, 
for 500,000 versus a million when the key employee has proven themselves over five or seven years and everything's working. Banks, as was already noted, are not going to lend unsecured, hardly anything. They want collateral. Something fails, they want to go pick it up and put it on the market and make themselves whole. So it's very difficult in this era for anybody to have any money. Even people who are 65 trying to retire, half of them have no savings. Half of 65-year-olds have nothing but Social Security to live on. So someone who's 35, 45, to expect they're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars or go get it, you're back to the 1% proposition again. It's a process, and you need to start as soon as possible and know that you are on that journey successfully to reach the promised land. I love the uh, word you carefully used, Bob, called equivalency, because too many give legit uh, shares. And when that person needs or has to leave, then there needs to be uh, some ugliness to obtain those shares back. Guys, let's talk about this. Okay, I'm bought in. I'm ready. I found someone. I got a five-year plan. I heard coaching. I also want to hear you guys talk about team training from general manager training to service advisor leadership training to technician training. And you never know if you took your training budget and doubled it because you knew how critically important it was to join networking groups and coaching organizations. That's all, in my opinion, insurance and money in the bank. If you have the right people, you have to be careful. You're not investing in people that don't otherwise meet your requirements of drive, passion, integrity, commitment. God, I think that goes without saying, actually. We got a saying in Virginia, never try to teach a pig to sing because all you're going to do is frustrate the pig and piss yourself off. It just doesn't work. If you don't have the right people in place, spending money on training is not going to work. If you've got the right people, now you're investing. And that's the difference, right? You've got to make sure you got the right team. They've got to be part of this process. As Bob said in the very beginning, they've got to be part of this process. We're actually looking at ESOPs and stuff now, too, that where we're starting to explore those a little bit and see what the if there's any advantage to those so that you've got a whole team, you know, going into it and working. But the end goal here is to get everybody so that it's working. You got to understand what does training do for a company? It improves skills, but it also helps improve communication. Right. And the better we can communicate, the more frequently we communicate, there's less friction in the business. And when there's less friction, things go smoother. And and it's really amazing. So I think that's important to realize. What about getting a business evaluated? Is there any potential to do that, uh, even though you may have a timeline of five years? Do it early and do it often. You should evaluate your business probably after like the first three or five years, see where you're at, because you've got to have a path. It's not like, you know, the profit fairy is not going to come and slip profit under your pillow at the end of the the month or when you sell your business. You've got to have that profit built in. Bob, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think having it done every five years or something like that would be fantastic because you can see where you're headed with it. Well, Rick, I don't think I'm ever going to tell you you're wrong about anything. (laughs) But here's something that is helpful. If you're years away from selling your business or creating that equity equivalence plan with a key employee where you have a definitive agreement of how this is going to play out. And in five years, the business will be sold. If you're not ready for that, just as a guide, business valuation is pretty simple. There's two components 
the stuff inside your building, I just call it stuff. It's your lifts and your computers and your hoys. I mean, compressors, it's the stuff. And the stuff is going to bring like 25 cents on the dollar on eBay or Craigslist. It's used stuff. And then you got inventory. So there's your assets. That's the smallest part. The cash flow is what people want. They want to buy a business for what the cash availability is to that owner. So take your cash flow, your true cash flow. And there's a formula for that, which I won't get into right now, but it's standard formula for seller's discretionary cash flow. You can figure it yourself. And then there's going to be a multiple. Well, the multiple, when I do this, because anywhere from zero times cash flow, the business is not going to survive. It's going to go with the owner up to five times that cash flow. But you can just take the average. National average is 2.5. So without spending any money with anybody, you just want to get an idea. Take all of your assets, 25 cents on the dollar plus inventory. That's part one. Your cash flow times 2.5 to get the national average. And that'll give you a ballpark that's pretty dang close without spending a whole bunch of money. And you can update that anytime you want. By the way, there's the uh, gumdrop that just fell from this episode. I thank you for that. I think a lot of people that have been through this realize that's a really good formula to get close. Chris? So I have a follow-up question on that as far as like this little 1.5 multi or one to five multiplier in there. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you talk about that just a little yep, bit? I, like I the, will. The steps in that? It's whatever, whatever time karma allows, but I can condense that down. I have a proprietary multiple calculations based on six metrics. Three of them are revolve around people. They're the most important ones. One metric is how independent is the business today from the owner? The more independent the business is, the higher that particular metric is going to be. The other is the customer facing people. How long have they been there? You know, if you got turnover in your service advisor positions and your average tenure is, you know, one to two years, there's no longevity there. That's a low multiple. 10 years, that's breeding confidence. The other is your technicians, your production staff. If you got a lot of turnover there, low metric. Stability, higher metric. Then you take your revenue trends as a fourth metric, your gross margin profit trends, the margin trend, not the profit itself, the margin. And the last one is what kind of standard operating procedures do you have so that if I buy your business, I can run it just like you do without needing to be there. Take those six metrics and that is how I devise the market multiple. So just giving you the average, that's what professional people do. They'll take a national average, regional average, industry average. I don't think businesses are average. They're all unique. And that's why that multiple could be anywhere from zero to five times when I do it. So I think that's beautiful. Thank you for explaining that. I took notes. I was writing. I was. <laughs> so what I want to make sure that everybody understands okay. is you have to be profitable, but in order to get X, 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 X return on that. Mm -hmm. You have to have those other things that you just talked about in place. That's where the real money's at. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, basically you're looking at stability in six areas. Yep. Yeah. That's what it is. And then all those are multipliers. It's like a labor multiplier or a parts matrix. Like that's your end game exit strategy multiplier. Yeah. So, I actually use the term for the multiplier. I use the term confidence factor. How confident is the new owner that the business is going to do at least as well as it's been doing when the current owner leaves. The higher that confidence, the higher that multiple is going to be. Otherwise, you're just buying assets. Exactly. And those are cheap. You can do that anywhere. Right. Absolutely. Bob, one of the talking points that you had that we haven't gotten to, but we probably talked about it a bit, 
was making sure your financial records are pure. You could have probably heard that through this entire last dialogue, but let's just bring that to the top here. Yeah, it's about being accurate, pure. There's nothing hidden in there. If your asset list says that you have uh, $300,000 of fixed assets and someone says, great, show me where the $300,000 is. And you walk through the shop and you're touching everything. And no, this isn't $300,000. It's less or maybe it's more. That one area I find that most business owners, not just in this industry, but most, will buy stuff and it goes on their list and nothing ever comes off. So I've seen shops that have like $800,000 on their books as assets, but they didn't take off the lift that was replaced last year. They didn't add a lift and make it their 10th lift. They still have eight lifts. One came off and they needed to replace it with another one. Or a compressor died, the compressor comes off and the new compressor goes on. So the asset list is just a mess. And then I've also seen where inventory is out of control. The shop really has $5,000 of on-hand inventory, but their record keeping has not been good and it shows 80000 on the books. You just want to make sure that you are accurately recording what your business is doing. And when you look at your own P&L and your own balance sheet, it's correct. Most owners, again, in any industry, just don't use financial statements as the tool they were meant to be. And they're really running their business out of a bank account. Financial statements are an invaluable tool. They need to be accurate for you while you own it. And whoever's going to buy the business is going to need accurate Wow. All you have to do is listen to uh, some of Hunt Demarest's podcasts on the Aftermarket Radio Network, and you'll do one of these. You'll end up with Swiss cheese brain if you listen to too many in a row. (laughs) You'll discover how much you do not know about financial statements and just finance as a whole. And guess what? That's the reason you're listening, so you can get smarter and better. That's why we do what we do here. This was great. I don't think we literally changed the world, but I think we helped put some mortar on the bricks in the foundation of of what we need to do as an industry. And to everyone's point, we are graying faster than ever before. And there are so, so many shop owners out there that they want to retire. So you know somebody, please forward this. This will come out as a podcast next Thursday. I'm sure that it is perfect timing to get this story told again. Let's go around the room, get any final comments, any thoughts. We'll do Rick, Chris, and then Bob. Rick, anything else? Okay. So first of all, I want you all to be aware that when Bob was talking about the financials of the business being pure, he was spending most of his time on the balance sheet, not the P&L. Yes, the P&L is important for running your business, but the balance sheet shows you the health of your business. So you got to get that right. Number one. Number two, don't steal cash. Put the cash in the business. You can't sell a shop. I had a shop. I bought a shop. He said, oh, I I took $150,000 a year out in cash. And I went, I can't count it. It doesn't count. I ended up buying the business for $75,000, okay, because he was hiding cash. Put the cash in. It makes the business worth more money. Yes, you're going to pay taxes. It is every coach's job to help you pay more taxes. The problem with most shops is you don't have the right cash flow to cover the taxes, okay? And that can be fixed. You should be on a plan to be selling your shop, right? First, removing yourself from the shop where it becomes your own ATM. And then 
when it's time, it's time for you to go into the sunset and do something else. The next chapter, you've got to be ready. We've given you some great guidelines. You got to have the right profit. You got to have the right team. You need stability, all of those things. You can do it. If you need help, reach out to a coach. There's lots of great coaches. So please, we want to help you and we want you to have a great nest egg. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Uh, I've said this over and over and over again for eight years. You got to have a coach. And if you don't have a coach, then you're going to try to DIY. It's like bringing the bacon and the eggs to the breakfast restaurant. You just don't want to do that. Yep. Chris. So ditto exactly what Rick just said. But again, if you didn't take anything else, start with the end in mind. And I think you've heard me talk about processes and procedures and having these things in place. We just heard a professional, Bob Ward, say that those processes and procedures actually have a dollar amount to them at the very end. So get it in there, do it, do what you know you need to do, separate your personal stuff from the business and be a business owner for crying out loud. You know, I haven't heard you ever say that before, Bob, but it it was refreshing to hear processes and systems help create value. How cool is that? Uh, Bob, thank you for being here. Uh, uh, Appreciate it. Final word? Yes. We're all talking about perpetuating success, perpetuating the owner's legacy. All you owners out there listening, primary takeaway for me is remember that your business is going to be sold. It's going to be sold either by liquidation because there was no plan and all these great things the team speaks about were not done. So it's just going to go on the auction block or shut down and be liquidated. We don't want that. We want you to be among the 20% of successful transitions where you realize your life's work. So it's not an event. Just know it's a process and you need to start. Even if it's one tiny step, one kernel that you take away from this show, just start and then continue down the path and you will get it done. I guarantee you that there's so many people that are listening to this that you've either had a slap upside the head yourself or you want to be a giver and share it with great friends that are in your same wheelhouse. Bob Ward, president of Warden LLC. Go to perpetualbusiness.co and hang out. It's a really cool site. Rick White from 180biz, 180biz.com. And Chris Cotton, Autofix Autoshop Coaching, autoshopcoaching.com. Have a great weekend. Thank you for all your great wisdom, everyone. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.